These are the target files. Discussing the novelizations and audiobooks of classic and now also new series Doctor Who stories. Looking through the eyes of adulthood at our childhood memories. After all, a great Time Lord once said, there's no point in being grown up if you can't be childish some of the time. Welcome to episode 97 of Doctor Who Target Files. This time we are discussing Resurrection of the Daleks, the newly released novelisation, which wasn't part of the initial target range back in the 80s, but scriptwriter Eric Sayward has novelised it now. Hello, this is Mike in Swansea. This is Lee in Swansea, and let's review this. Oh, God. <laughs> going to say a teaser for your thoughts then, Lee, but I'm getting an inkling... It's not the best one we've done. This is the worst one we've done. In fact, this is the worst novelisation of anything that's ever read or listened to in my entire life. It's dreadful. I do, I do, it's got a nice cover. That's where I can say it's quite positive. And it has Terry Malloy and Nicholas Briggs doing the narration. They're very good. Maybe not on this, but they're very good usually. This should have stayed in the past. One thing I really like, about the idea of the Target novels originally when they first came out was you missed the episode, you're never going to see it you can read the story if I'd have read this, I would never have wanted to see this story and it's one of the better Peter Davison ones. Televised version of this fantastic, the story version awful, the book was coming out and then we were going to have to wait till October for the audio yes, yeah, initially I mean, planned I mean, as you, as you know, we do have a blind listener so as a podcast, I feel we're quite inclusive for everyone. You know, we were going to read the story, but when the audio came out, that was great. So, you know, our blind listener could hear it as well. If we'd read the book, I would have given up halfway through. This was so bad. This is the first time I've returned um, an audiobook to Audible and said, I did not like this book. Wow. And they gave me a credit back for it. It's it's written by the original writer, Eric Sawood. Yes. Sawood. Say this, what? Yeah. <laughs> say what? Eric yeah. Sawood, but I do say, say what? Yeah. No, Eric Sawood, yeah, script editor back in the 80s, had a bit of a famous falling out with JNT. Everyone had a famous falling out with JNT. Yeah, not just to do with the show as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Um. <laughs> so it's not as though he didn't know these characters. But this book feels like they just got someone in and going, watch this, write the novelization of it. It's thin in parts. There's flurries of language. Things have been added to it which don't really need to be added. 
the TARDIS team, which is more than recognisable to our to our fans, who are they talking about? Because this isn't the this isn't the team that I know. This was Tegan's last story in the broadcast episode. It's very poignant and it's very heartfelt when she says that she wants to go. In this, in the drama, in the audio book, and I'm, and in the book as well, I don't care. I don't care that you're going because it doesn't seem as though you've ever really wanted to be here anyway. Well, I wrote fairly mediocre, folks. <laughs> That's my contribution. Thank you. No, um, yeah, um, interview with Eric Seawood when this was released a few weeks back um, on the Doctor Who YouTube channel. He actually mentions um, that it took him a while to get back into the writing. I don't know if this is the first time he's novelised something in a long time, but you really get the impression it is, or you really get the impression that it's the first time he's ever novelised anything, given he's a man, you know, well into his uh, sixth or seventh decade now. I think, you know, as you get older, most writers, their output becomes less and less. But that was still your job. All you had to do... This should have been left in the past. This should have just been left as an episode. You didn't need to dramatise it. Or if you were going to... Why am I keeping saying dramatise? Adapt. Yeah, adapt. 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 That, that's the word. It should It should, should have just been left there. I would, do you know what I would have rather read? I would have rather read the script from the TV series. Just go, interior, daytime. Than some of the rubbish that he put in that. I was reading some of the reviews on, on Amazon. Only one person gave this a positive. Everyone else just said it was awful. Okay, I'm going to discuss what I think are a few strengths of the book. <laughs> um, okay. As you alluded to just now, though, with the idea of just wanting to read the script instead, it's the parts of the book where he doesn't go off kilter from the TV script, which are the better bits, I think. Um, there's a decent pace in those scenes. The action scenes we see in the TV version, and in particular the tension of the Davros and Doctor scenes, that's definitely a strength in the TV show, and I think it comes across okay in the book, but as a whole, that doesn't make up for the disappointment. No, not at all. Um, sometimes you need to see it. Do you remember being taught Shakespeare in school and how boring it was? But if you see it performed, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's the same with this. You can't you can't get the emotion that you got on the screen into these books. You have to be a very, very good writer. I'm not saying he's not a good writer, but he hasn't been part of Doctor Who for a very long time. Yeah, some very strange choices within. He has expanded the novelisation a bit. There's a very curious uh, scene where we get to find out what's in the other rooms of the TARDIS. And I found myself, when I read the preview of this book, thinking, oh, that'll be something to look forward to. But then you soon realise, probably even in a book that we would like more, I would say a better writer's hands, that's something that all should be left to the invagi- imagination. The imagination, eh? <laughs> Pardon me, listeners. Oh, just leave that in. <laughs> I will Leave do. in the imagination. <laughs> what sort of imagination have I got, eh? Yeah. No, um, it's something that should always live in the imagination. Like those little... It's something that outside the canon, but almost like certain things need to be left to the imagination. Yeah, I would take think... for example, pop fiction. 
not knowing what was in that briefcase is much more entertaining yeah. than knowing that what's in there. And what's in the top drawer of the uh, Linton Travelodge in Alan Partridge, you know? We, ne- we exactly. never find out. Exactly. Science fantasy fiction-wise, the Star Wars, the Clone Wars should never have been shown in the live action. I, I like the um, animation. Yeah. But uh, I think it was Stephen Moffat who said, if we go into backstories around about the time he wrote the very first uh, River Song story before he was even showrunner... He said, we had all this build-up from here in the Clone Wars in episode 4, or just Star Wars as it was known back then in 77, and what we ended up seeing on screen in the prequels was a series of meetings. Yeah. it's not, I suppose the Time War is the most obvious one, the Doctor. Yeah. We, we see parts of it now, but I mean, never the even, whole thing. Even in the day of the Doctor where we see the little bits, the last days of the Time War, that was enough. We didn't really see anything. Yeah. You know, we saw some Daleks blowing up. We saw people running around. We saw Timothy Dalton spitting when he shouted. Yes, we did. <laughs> James Bond, I enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah, he's. I love Timothy Dalton. He's still the best Bond for me too. I think. Indeed. Back of the net. <laughs> <laughs> so, what were the other positive things? Since I was being so negative about this, that was it. Really, the two main ones. Um, Talking about the audiobook as well, um, we I quite like Terry Malloy as a reader. I, he obviously captures Davros very well, given that this was his first chance to take over the role after Michael Wisher in Genesis and David Goodiston in Destiny. And he's carried that on for Big Finish all the years. A very uh, nice man when you meet him at conventions. Um, yeah, he does an admirable job. A vaginal job. Yeah. <laughs> an admirable job. Uh, of capturing the characters. Yeah, it's a pretty good effort by him, but you weren't that impressed. It was very flat. I've heard him read other other things, and he's been very good. I don't know whether he was actually given the, the book to read beforehand and then just thought, oh, God, this is awful, and couldn't put, couldn't put any uh, enthusiasm into his read. So I can't say it was down to him being a bad reader... But it was, as I said, very flat. There was there was nothing there was nothing good about this for me. I even messaged you saying, I don't like this. Yeah, I was looking forward to this one even more after you uh, messaged me that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, some strange decisions, like we get the idea of a talking cat in one scene. Uh, the Doctor, is he hallucinating again? Has he taken in the psychic pollen from... Uh, what was it, the Dream Lord episode in the Smith era? That's it, that's it, though. That, that's what I mean. There was... There was things in the in the book that don't go anywhere that bear no relevance to a backstory or to bulk up something else. It's just in there for the sake of it being in there. Mm-hmm. Um, as you as you said to me before we started recording about uh, Tegan all of a sudden coming across as like a Marvel character. Yeah, yeah. The prologue at the end, spoilers, folks. But um, it's nothing too exciting to get spoiled about. No. If you, I mean, if you get to the end of the book, I'd be amazed. Yeah, it was almost like he'd seen, well, I suppose the setting on the River Thames at the end is similar to Spider-Man Far From Home, which mm. we've seen recently. It's almost as if he went to see that and decided to put it in as a... Um, I really enjoy this. Out of the Davidson era, this is one of my favourite stories. In fact, I went into, went into town and bought it on DVD because I thought, I don't remember it being bad. I remember it being really good. And this is one of the stories... I've got lots of friends who only like classic Doctor Who. I even messaged you, do you prefer classic Doctor Who or modern Doctor Who? 
And this was the first time when I rewatched it, I thought, I do understand why people prefer Classic Who over New Who. Because the way it's lit, the way it's acted, there are some hammy bits in it, but my favourite film is Star Wars, and there's some really hammy bits in that. Well, just everything about this, that old look of London, which if you go on the behind-the-scenes documentaries where they look at the locations now, it's become very gentrified now, but it was all old, decaying Docklands then. That really yeah. adds to the grittiness of the 1980s grain on the film, doesn't it? And, and the way when you see them in the... But when you see them in the rooms, it's it's poorly lit. Because it would be poorly lit. if you, And when you look at New Who... New Who? <laughs> Woo-hoo! <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's much better lit, but it also loses something because it's too polished. Yeah. Every, everyone knows exactly what they're doing. This is dystopian, and the feel of it suits that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, definitely one of my favourites. Did you know that this had a, uh, back in 84 on broadcast, this had a higher death count than the Terminator on Commando? No. No, apparently so, yeah. Obviously you don't see much blood in this, or if any, but... uh... One thing that really stood out for me as well on the broadcast version was the soldier there just smoking a cigarette and holding a gun. In studio. In studio. Brilliant. Which you just think, yeah, you'd never get away with that now. You can't even show people smoking anymore. Yeah, criminal offence now, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely, probably one of my favourite stories. And I remember even though I was barely seven, I think, when it was broadcast, it was one that was definitely talked about because I think um, the A-Team had probably started on ITV by this point. Can't remember if it was ever directly up against who, but it might have been, depending on the time of year it was it broadcast. Was, if it was broadcast on a Saturday evening, which it wasn't, it was I Monday. think this was February 84, this was... That Doctor Who yeah. Resurrection was broadcast. Oh, no, but yeah, but they'd moved to Monday nights by then. Yeah, they? so oh, I forgot. Um, Doctor Who, uh, the A-Team was always on. But this was definitely talked about in the playground. People, uh, pretty much as you do when you're kids, they love the machine guns aspect of it. They love the Daleks. And that was another thing that I, re- I recognised as recognised saw. So. I don't know what's wrong. It's probably, just to let you know, listeners, I managed to pull a muscle in my back by plugging in an iron. There's no more no more to that story. I just plugged in an iron, and now I'm in agony. So you'd probably be offed if you were one of uh, Dad Ross's lackeys. Oh, yes, I'd be gone. I'd, yeah. I, I would have I would been vaporised a long time ago. How do you feel um, Dad Ross is dealt with in this story? I think it's the start of the sort of Civil War part we see. I think it begins in Destiny, where he's actually... I always forget when I come around to seeing Dad Ross, basically he has a split with the Daleks, doesn't he, himself? Yeah, I mean he's a he's a one of the most interesting characters in science fiction. Yeah. He somebody described him once as Hitler in space. That is what he is. Yeah, have you listened to the the big finished play I Davros? No. It's done in the sort of I Claudius style and it's his backstory as a kid and it's like six hours long, but it is really good. It is one of the very better ones they've done. I definitely recommend it. Um well I've got a new credit from Audible since I returned this rubbish. Um, I will give it a listen instead. Yeah, I, I really think it's one of the better, best audio dramas I've heard, to be honest. And the design of Davros, there's just something inherently creepy, creepy about yeah. him. I mean, because he first appears in... Uh, Genesis. Yep, that was it. The Tom story. Yeah, and that's Michael Wisher, a fantastic actor. In fact, isn't that the Cardiff film and comic on... One of the Davros actors is actually there. 
Is it David Goodison? He it does is. quite a lot of them, yeah. He only did Destiny, and people thought there was a bit too much of a sea change from Michael Wisher to him, but then Terry Malloy sort of blended the best of both of them. And many people wanted him back for the new series, but they gave us Julian Bleach, who was just... Plays him as completely mental, to be honest. Mm. You know, there's not enough of the calculation that we get. Although I suppose there is in the Capaldi story, where he comes back. What do you think of Davros now? I don't mean... The classic one, but the one that was actually in the new series, well, the newer series of Doctor Who. Do you like him? Brilliantly well written by Moffat. A little more pantomime by RTD, but that was in the big sort of journey's end finale when he was throwing everything in the kitchen sink at the end of his last full series. But better developed by Moffat, I think. I do prefer classic um, Davros. I think so. I prefer the design of him. I'm, yes, of course, it's a guy in a rubber mask. Everyone likes someone in a rubber mask. I was going to say, there's this uh, this sort of deformed character who spends a lot of time on his own, likes to wear leather. Reminds you of anybody? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> One or two. He's just creepy and insane in classic Doctor Who. But the new Who, he goes over the top. I think so, but that's part of the bombast of New Who really isn't it and it's definitely reined in in the I think it's the Magician's Apprentice two-parter and, and also as well you know taking it over time yes he would become worse and worse he wouldn't all of a sudden become a nice guy you know saving kittens yeah although I'd quite like to see a story where Davros is looking after some kittens or maybe running a nursery for young children or maybe just Kitson of course played by uh, Leslie Grantham as you were saying many stalwarts in the TV version it's incredible how many people are in there it's like okay well I recognise him from this I recognise him from this you know Leslie Grantham before he became Dirty Den or Dirty Man on the internet (laughs) (laughs) and after he got out of jail for actually shooting somebody yes in a taxi yes in Germany yeah, and Del Henny, who was in uh, Straw Dogs, who only passed away last year, and uh, mm. I think it was only last year Leslie Grantham left us as well, didn't he? Yes, he did. Did he fall into a canal again? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Leslie Grantham, who was famously um, represented by Jack Whitehall's father, Michael, who eh? was an who was an agent for many years. He was a bit of a legend, getting his own shows in there. Um, yeah, so summing up on the whole book, I just want to mention some of the references... Uh, Eric, say what? Say what puts in. <laughs> um, he's obsessed with Terraleptiles. Now, he wrote The Visitation in which they first appeared. Yeah. But um, why does he keep mentioning them Mentioning them in this book? There's, there's, there was a few things in this book. Like, what was the name of the ship? The Vipod Moor. Yeah. That's mentioned in another story. And it blew up. Ah, the slip back, isn't it? Which was... Yeah. Not so much canon, but it was a BBC radio production on in the school holidays with Colin Baker yeah. when the series was off air. It was still, it was still. It's, it's as though he'd run out of ideas. Yeah, you're going. Oh, no one's going to remember this, but he forgets that fandom, especially who fandom, they know everything. I think so. And sort of summing up, I'd want to say that um, we know that some original novels in the range had a long gap between the TV version in like the sixties, and then the writers would come back in the eighties. Yeah. This has had a really long gap, but it hasn't worked. Oh, no, definitely not. It, sh- it As I said earlier, it should have stayed stayed where it was in 1984. Are we going to score this book? <laughs> yeah, four out of ten, and that's just because the cover was nice, and it had printed words. 
That's that's pretty generous. I was going to say um, five as well, but I think maybe four point five. Can I give it a five? No, I can't. It's below average for me. It's going to be a four from me as well, mate. And I'll be honest with you. The only other reason why I pushed it up to four to ten was because I love the actual episodes. Yeah, and coming out soon, he's got his following Dalek story, the last one he's written for TV Doctor Who so far. He's got Revelation of the Daleks, Colin Baker story. But he actually says on the interview that I referred to earlier on the Doctor Who YouTube channel that that one really hasn't been altered much from the TV version, which is a story I've always liked. So here's hoping for something a lot better. And is that out yet, or when is it coming out yet? Around about maybe the end of this month and next month, and then there's a few weeks' wait for the audiobook again. I might read the reviews on Amazon before I buy it. Can I put something to you? What? Eric Saywood did write maybe a few. The only one I'm thinking of now, maybe to do next time. Back in the 80s, he wrote The Twin Dilemma, which is the Colin Baker first story. Oh, nice. Would you be happy to cover that next? To see how how his uh, writing in the uh, 80s, if it, how well, different it was I'd, and it might have fit in then. I don't think he's a bad writer. No. Because... Because the actual broadcast episodes were so good. Yeah. I just think it's been too long since um, he wrote the original story. Yeah. And it's trying like trying to I can't remember things from thirty years ago. No. In great in great depth and you know, I I'm not a writer. Yeah. So yes, I'm more than happy to give the twin dilemmas a go. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Speaking of 30 years, I watched Batman uh, 1989 again last night in the UK because it was 30 years since I first saw it as a twelve year old. I didn't watch Batman last night. I watched the last episode of This Way Up on Channel 4. Now, uh, you were talking to me about this show earlier on. Can you explain a bit, a bit I, about it for our listeners? I can. I don't want to give too much away, but it stars Sharon Horgan and Ashlyn B as two sisters living in London. And Ashlyn B has had a breakdown and has only recently come out of treatment. It's it has some very heartfelt, poignant moments. If you've ever known anyone suffering with men, mental health problems, you can see a lot of that in there. But I highly recommend it. I watched all six episodes on all four. I, as I said to you before we started recording, I understand why Netflix do it, but now the terrestrial TV starting to do it as well. I I've always loved the. Uh, and we don't get to find out what happens until next week, and now they're getting rid of that. I would have, people have speculated about whether Doctor Who will do it in the future, and I would hate that. I kind of do like waiting a week for a few things. I mean, even now, something like which is my popcorn watch, my guilty pleasure is the Lethal Weapon TV show. Even though it's been cancelled, we've just had the start of the third season here in the UK, and I will specifically watch it on a Friday night now weekly. You know, I can record them all in one go if I want to, but. Um, I'll spread them out. I think maybe it's just down to age, and you know, I've, you know, we grew up on broadcast TV, and now things have changed so much since when we were kids. Everyone wants everything now. I want it now. I want it now. I want to see every single episode now. Um, so, besides Batman, <laughs> have you been watching anything else? Yes, I was going to recommend uh, Tony. We interviewed last month from the Doctor Who Target Book Club in the states. He recommended it to me, and I caught up with the. New adaptation of Joseph Heller's Catch-22, uh, produced and a small role in it for George Clooney, but brilliant TV, just absolutely superb. Um, 
as you're speaking about mental illness in the show you just mentioned catch 22 really looks at the basic insanity of war and um it sort of juxtaposes the main character his own descent into insanity amongst basically the craziness of war and it's it's balanced up so well brilliant cinematography really cinematic in terms of what we get on the tv scale nowadays some fantastic performances not too afraid to shy away from one particularly really gory scene but six episodes a good one to binge thoroughly thoroughly recommended and ironically enough i I found out today it was originally called catch 18 but there was another book that was coming out that had the number 18 in it so it was changed to 22 so a pointless fact yeah we gotta watch the first 21 series first so yeah (laughs) Um, yeah and I watched The Boys (laughs) I hate saying that Amazon Prime's The Boys not like in a school you weren't like watching them with binoculars (laughs) no uh, Amazon Prime's The Boys uh, very dark look at the superhero world Um, you're aware of the comic book mates and you weren't particularly looking forward to watching this were you Uh, this was from the same team that brought us Preacher the Garth Ennis Steve Dillon comic they absolutely murdered that that comic book. I, I watched half of the first season and thought that it was so bad that when it was announced they were doing The Boys, I just thought, yeah, oh, doing The Boys. Doing The Boys. They were doing the doing and doing The Boys. I thought, no, I, I loved this. When this was Garth Ennis and Derek Robinson, Robertson, um, people have told me it's very good. But I already know what happens. And I could just spoil it for you all now. I could tell you all exactly how it ends. Yeah, um, I mean, the first season, pretty good. Six six episodes. Um, some very strange things in there. Good to see Elizabeth Shue again after all these years. You probably see a little bit more of a woman who's nearly 60 than you uh, would necessarily want in one particular scene. You'll know. <laughs> yes, you'll know from the comic books or if you're a Little Britain fan. Um Carl Urban with a very, very strange sort of Kiwi stroke, Cockney Australian accent. stroke, South African stroke Cockney accent. Uh, very gory scene at the very beginning. Would it be somebody running through a woman? Yes. And all that's left is her arms? Yes. Yep, that was in the comic book. Pretty graphically done, but I will say there's a similar type of scene in Catch-22. But that's done... As if it really would have happened. I'll tell you what the scene is afterward. So yeah. So any other recommendations? No, the only thing, other thing I've watched is the Hulk cartoon from 1982. I have watched that now about five times the entire series because I introduced my son to it, who was only three, and now he really loves the Hulk. Is it that or Peppa Pig? Or they moved on from? I know my niece was into that like three or four years ago. Um, he moved on from. Peppa Pig to like these other TV shows, and it's it's weird when you watch kids' cartoons now, yeah. of how different they are to when we were that age. Rubbish, no, not as good. <laughs> yeah, they, I, things like Tom and Jerry are almost unrecognizable now, whereas they used to run around and smash each other with frying pans. Yeah, now they just busy talk. Yes, we've had a bit of feedback this week. Um, Although I'm very pleased that we've had quite a few five-star reviews. 
and they weren't written by us. That's true, yeah. And um... So if you'd like to rate, review and, sub- and subscribe, or tell a friend, please do. It helps us out quite a bit. A few weeks ago at London Film and Comic Con, I managed to uh, snag 10 minutes interview or 10 minute chat with legendary target artist Jeff Cummins. And uh, we're going to put that on the end of the podcast now. Lee is uh, amused at his name, but I'm sure uh, (laughs) he'd be quite amused. He was quite a funny guy, which you'll see from this interview. You'll hear from this interview, folks. Um, Chris Achilleos was there at the stand next to him, but he was a little bit too busy to chat but um you will hear chris in the background um when basically there's a bit of banter and jeff uh, other artists who he consider shit and uh, he he looks over and says like that guy over there and it's chris and uh, you hear chris shouting rubbish in the background and it was it was a pretty funny day but thank you very much to jeff for that who's also got an interview in the brilliant new doctor who magazine target book special available now folks thoroughly recommended brilliant yeah so this is Mike, the man whose uh, mind cashes checks which his body can't uh, pay. <laughs> and this is Lee. Signing off. Who's old and in pain and has and a small child that will wake me up at five o'clock in the morning. I have a cat that does that. But, mm. um, you know, ironing's bad for you folks. Yeah, That's what it is. we've discovered today. Yes, it is. You shouldn't iron. No one should iron. Everyone should have crumpled clothes forever. And we shall be discussing, I think, the twin dilemma we said next The month. twin dilemma. See if Eric, see what, can, uh, can do better. Right. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm here with uh, Jeff Cummins, legendary artist of the Target range. How are you today, sir? I'm hot, thank you. Yes. Uh, enjoying Comic-Con otherwise, though? Yeah, yeah, lovely. It's always good, this one. Always like this. Fantastic, yeah. Jeff. Um, could you just let our listeners know how you first got into... Uh, the world of Doctor Who and designing the Target covers. Um, yeah, I I worked with a guy called Dom Rohde. I went to see him when he was an art director. And uh, I took him some work and he thought it was a bit rubbish. And I thought I should tighten up my my act a little bit, which I did. Okay. And I went back. Um, he was happy with the next lot. And then in came Doctor Who. And do you fancy it? Yes, of course I do. So I was a bit of a fan when I was a kid. So yeah, we went we went from there, and I did about I think probably a dozen covers before, before I got a bit fed up with it, uh, <laughs> which I wish I hadn't now. But I used to, I was because I was quite young and it was new, everything was new. I'd move around, you know, different formats. I used to do album covers and stuff. So I did that. Oh, so excellent! That was like a double album, and it was just nice to have different formats, you know. And I was doing so many book jackets at the time. But uh, I came back later on with the Virgin covers, which I don't think I was quite on form as I was previously. I suppose when I was really hungry, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I love I love the association with Doctor Who uh, being part of the, uh, the legend that it is. <laughs> yeah, and so many have uh, become iconic covers. You know, a co-host of mine described it as being. Um, Sort of the eye player of the day, Target books, you know, before we even had VHSs and yeah. being able to go back over the episodes. Oh, sure. And, and you know, what was nice about the, the novels back then, um, that was it. The, the image on the cover, that, that was it. That's all you were going to get. So, so it was kind of, you know, let, let your imagination fill in the rest. And, uh, you know, there was no kind of hype or, or, or peripheral kind of stuff to go with them. So, uh, 
yeah, it was kind of full on. I'm, I'm not, I think I I meet people all the time who say it was like their first novel they, or the first couple of novels they, they bought for themselves. You know, so it's really important. And I know a couple of really good, really good artists. Some of them, some of them are a bit shit. Like in my that's right. Edit that bit. Uh, no, uh, I know. I know some really good artists who, who say that they were inspired by my covers. One of them was hanging in in the uh, National Portrait Gallery, you know, and that, that's fantastic. I mean, obviously, uh, I, I was just kind of triggered for it. I can't take any uh, credit for it, but that's really nice, you know. When people come back that kind of thing. So, Excellent. Have you got any particular favourites of your own? I, I kind of, I've got like th- three or four. Um, Horror of Van Rock, Face of Evil. Three Doctors I think I got away with. Um, and there's another one that I can't think of and I can't see it on the wall. Oh yeah, um, Talons of... Okay, if I film? Bring to it. Yeah, that one. That was uh-huh, my first fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic so, novelisation, that. So I, I, was, I was really doing my best to try and impress with that one, even though they all look a bit cut out these days. And someone made some reference to the, the, the baddie being a bit... Uh, on PC, but I think I'm kind of settling with uh, Fang Rock because you know there was a, there was a lot of mood involved with that. that I think I pulled off. Yes, I can say that retrospect. That, you know, I sort of look at my paintings and think, oh no, no, that, that's not good. <laughs> but you know, um, and Tom Baker, I keep of saying course. this to people. Tom Baker told me it was his favourite cover. Yeah. Is he one of these sort of preferential doctors? To draw, do you think he's got such oh, oh, sort of yeah. prominent I mean, features? Uh, the, uh, the plus with Tom Baker uh, was just the, the expressions, you know, the fantastic expression. Uh, the minus, the curly hair, and the loving scar. Yes. You know, if you're going to go detail and you get involved in all that, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty kind of ambitious. Thing. And I can see you've done a, a few based on the new series. Yeah. And one of three of the other new series Doctors in a Three Doctors style. Uh, what inspired you to uh, to make those? Um, what, the new ones? Yes. Um, I turn up at conventions and people say, you've got, where's the new stuff? And I'm like, okay. well, nobody's, nobody's, uh, but uh, I, I thought about, well, I should do something and maybe, you know, include uh, new Doctors. The three Doctors are, the new one was, was yes. a, uh, a friend, personal commission thing, a private commission, if you like. Uh, but um, I said I'm, I'd like to use it for prints, and uh, people tend to grab that because it's got their favourite doctors on it. Excellent. You know? So I thought because uh, Fang Rock's my favourite, I guess, at the moment, it's a, it's a nose head of the others. I should do something with Jody, you know, and if I could re- replicate that. Even just a nod. I mean, I started painting it, and it, it, you know, I just thought, oh, that's like this isn't good. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm not as hot as I used to be when I was younger. Yes. So I thought I'd do like a, you know, come to like a comic con thing. I'll do it in a comic style. And then I started. To, so I did. I, I just did a kind of line drawing. Used a few markers even just to start getting it going. It didn't look too bad. But then I, I thought I'd just go back to the line. Uh, put it into Photoshop and paint with a mouse, basically. So I only had three evenings to do it. So I was under those conditions. I was quite happy with the. Uh, I got. I was quite nervous. I put it on online, 
and I got really good feedback, so I thought, okay, I'll bring it on. Yeah, I know, I was lucky enough to meet the lady on location earlier in the year, and uh, it's a very good likeness. She is a very strikingly beautiful woman, and captured it very well. I did before she was a doctor as well. Oh, yes. You know, she's been in some quite good stuff. Yes. Yeah, you know, very good. It's a bit of a challenge, doctor here, you know, regenerating as well. I haven't got a problem with it, but I still find it difficult. I'll tell you, the... There's something more difficult than uh, going with it. It's when you see people, men, dressed as her. Yeah. <laughs> I find that quite uh, uh, yeah. surreal. Probably. Yeah, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting more and more used to it, but... Uh... Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> I hope you can... Very uh, nice to meet you, thank you. I hope you can beat the swearing out. No, that's fine. Doctor Who Target Files was hosted by Lee Farncombe and Michael Winks. 13th Doctor theme cover by Borna Matosic. Please do check out YouTube channel B-O-R-N-A-M-A-T-O-S-I-C. You can contact Doctor Who Target Files on Twitter at DW Target Files handle or Instagram at Doctor Who The Target or leave a message on our Facebook page Doctor Who The Target Files. Please do rate and review us on iTunes and thank you so much for listening.